and welcome to the University of Minnesota Swine Extension Podcast. Today, our podcast is a research update. My name is Sarah Sheik, and I'm a Swine Extension Educator with the University of Minnesota. Joining me today is Randy Pepin, who is a colleague of mine as an Extension Educator also at the University of Minnesota. Randy, to get us started today, are you able to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I've been working with the University of Minnesota Extension for the last 11 years, but prior to that, my, my background has primarily been around livestock, both dairy and swine, so that's, that's where I come from. Randy, today you plan to talk about a project you finished this past fall about integrating cover crops with manure. Can you give us a brief introduction to your research study, explaining why it was a valuable project to do? This project has been an interesting project, is integrating uh, what we're doing with in this world of cover crops and then bringing it together with manure. Of course, with all our livestock, we always have to deal with manure. One of the dilemmas that a livestock farmer has is when they, when they start thinking about cover crops is they want to they want to get manure out in the ground first and then plant the cover crop later. And that's really not ideal because then in many cases we're getting manure out too early, too warm in the fall yet, so we can have a lot of losses with our nitrogen. And it's maybe if we wait too late in the year, then it's too late to plant the cover crop. This project we we centered around totally around winter cereal rye, which when you're talking about planting a cover crop as late as after soybeans, you don't have small grains is about the only options you have. There's a lot of other cover crop options that people look at, but most of those need to be seeded at least in August. So that's that's a whole nother topic. But but that just kinda helps explain why we why we were looking at the winter cereal rye. Randy, can you tell us how did you complete this study? So what we want to do is we want to plant the planting the cover crop, in this case winter cereal rye, right after harvesting of the soybeans. And we're injecting our liquid manure later in the fall so we get the benefit of the cooler soils. So that's what we're attempting to do, kind of reverse into paradigm. In this project, we're working with both dairy farmers and, and hog farmers. With dairy farmers, of course, is cor one corn silage crop after the other. With the hog farmers, most hog farmers have a rotation of corn and soybeans. So we're bringing this one in uh, after harvesting soybeans. And then we're applying the manure because we, we don't really need the manure for the soybeans, but we need it for the next year's corn crop. So that's why we're bringing it in after soybeans before the corn crop. Do everything in the fall as far as getting the cover crop planted and then getting this manure injected into the cover crop later in the fall. Then the next spring we're taking some measurements. Uh, in the spring we're seeing how, how much rye we have growing and how much nitrogen is actually in that rye. And we were taking a 24-inch nitrate test to see, you know, where, what happened with our nitrates, what what effect the cover crop would have with the nitrates. Then we're terminating the the, the rye with with Roundup, and then the next fall we're of course having harvest and we're seeing what our yields are. And so, are you able to share with us briefly what the results were of your study? And I know you said that you had both a dairy component with the corn silage and then also a swine component as well. But if you're able to focus those results on what you saw on the swine side of this project. Yeah, it's primarily because the dairy farmers are harvesting corn silage. But but we're looking at the grain yield here with, 
with the hog farmers and and what we found is that there really wasn't a significant difference between the two the, the treatments whether we had the, the rye on or not provided that we got the rye terminated before it got too tall we're, we're talking about recommending that this rye if you're going to use it in this manner that it's terminated before before it reaches eight inches tall so that's a real critical part of the whole process some of the other things we measure is how much actual nitrogen is in the rye at termination. Quite a bit we're talking about an average average of 45 pounds of nitrogen per acre that's in the rye with, with a range of anywhere from six or seven pounds all the way up to over 100 pounds of, per acre of nitrogen that's in the in the ground rye at termination time. So that's pretty significant. Another huge significant result is the 24 inch nitrate test. In every single plot, there was less nitrates underneath the cover crop than where we didn't have a cover crop. And the difference of 78 pounds of, of nitrate nitrogen per acre, which is quite significant that, that we can uh, tie up that much nitrogen in the in the, both the roots and the, the above ground biomass of, of the rye. This is pretty important, in, especially in years where you get some heavy spring rains, that we can prevent some leaching of the nitrogen, of the nitrates. So we found this to be a quite significant result of our research, that, and it's just quite consistent. It was it was this all the way across the board. The other thing that we're we just kind of measured is total nitrogen yield at the end of the year too, and again, there was no significant difference between the plots with, with uh, nitrogen yield. So what we, we concluded with this whole thing is that this is a potential, a viable way of managing cover crops with a with slime manure and a corn soy rotation, that we can get the cover crop out there right after soybean harvest, inject the liquid manure later on, can terminate it in the spring as long as it doesn't get too tall, and we are able to get that, that nitrogen back that next year. If we terminate it too late, uh, meaning that the rye gets too tall on us, we can tie up some of the nitrogen in the rye and not get it back so it's available for the corn crop that year. So that's that's why we're talking about the eight inches. So you shared the like the big takeaway results with us. Was there anything else that you found with this study that that might be a, a good takeaway that that farmers might be interested in? Well, I think one of the the reason why people were looking at cover crops in the first place, of course, is is so many other issues we're talking about in today's world, issues of soil health, uh, wind erosion, water erosion, and other issues. And sometimes farmers look at that and they want to know if they're going to get a return this year. These things are long-term results. They're not something that you're necessarily going to see a difference in one year. But over over time, there would be a benefit. But we want to know if we can manage our crop. We definitely don't want to lose yield. Uh, it'd be better to gain a yield, but it, we certainly don't want to go backwards. And we're trying to emphasize the point that if we're managed in this way, that we can we can at least maintain yield. There has been some research that indicated there there can be a yield loss when you uh, follow follow corn after after winter rye, but in those in most all of those cases, the rye would, had gotten quite tall, and so we feel that that's a critical part of this thing is is making sure you know where you are with with the maturity of the rye and 
that eight inches seems to be a, a pretty good parameter to work with. Thanks. So hence why you reminded us a couple of times that to make sure that, yeah, that winter rye doesn't get too tall and it gets terminated in a timely manner. I guess if it does get away from you, then it, then you just part of the next management thing, okay, now it got away from us. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of nitrogen tie up in that rye, so we have to, you know, take care of that. You know, we're, we're going to have to maybe put a little bit more extra on, can on this year to take care of that. But you haven't lost it. I mean, it'll, it'll degrade and be available in the future. So it's not like it's a total loss, but, but it's, it's managing nitrogen. I mean, that's really what it's all about, no matter how we go about whether we have a cover crop or not. Managing nitrogen is always a challenge. Yeah, and like you did um, mention, I know with the results is saying that, you know, it did show that there was nitrogen retention there, which was good, um, minimized bleaching, because I'm sure that's also an important thing to think about in terms of, like, water quality and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's, when nitrogen bleaches, it's, it's certainly an environmental issue, and it's also an economic issue. That nitrogen is gone. The farmer is not going to be able to use that nitrogen for the corn, so... So it's, it plays in both sides of that quite readily. So do you think, is there any follow-up research that might be done with some of the outcomes that you found with this project, or or can this lead to any other research? Well, I've had certain, quite a few ideas about some things that, that would be interesting to work on. And, you know, following up with this, of course, is even with a similar project would be would be interesting. On the dairy side, there's farmers that are interested in the using a rye for a forage crop, and so working with that a little bit more for the dairy farmers. Hog farmers wouldn't be looking at that, of course, but but uh, what I hear from some of the hog farmers is, you know, how much what's the potential of the rye tying up some of the nitrogen on earlier applied manure, and I think it'd be interesting to see some work on that and see if we can. Uh, if a farmer has to put manure out in August, if he just doesn't have any room, if we can, if we put a cover crop out there immediately, uh, does it have the potential to tie up some of that nitrogen enough that, it, that it's worthwhile? Uh, I'd like to see some research on that. Well, any lasting comments that you'd like to leave us with today? I think long term, we 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 hear a lot of things about cover crops. Uh, and their benefits and whatever and both on the wind erosion water erosion increasing soil health organic matter we hear we hear a lot about this farmers are always wondering about how how do I find time to do it and, and do I make any money doing it and this is going to be an ongoing thing I mean this we're at the beginning of of this curve of learning with cover crops but I don't think it's going to go away we're going to learn a lot about it and in the future I think it'll be eventually become a very common practice that the people will be working with this because it's important for this soil to have something growing in it all the time and that's that's one of the aspects of a healthy soil in the long term in, you know importance of that. Well thank you Randy for sharing your research on integrating cover crops with manure with us today. You know, cover crops is, is something that people are talking about out there, and so this is great to share the research that you did with us utilizing cover crops with manure. Well, this wraps up our podcast for today. 
Thank you to those listening to the University of Minnesota Swine Extension Podcast. This has been Sarah Sheik, Swine Extension Educator, along with Randy Pepin, sharing his research on integrating cover crops with manure. To further connect with the University of Minnesota Extension, please visit our website at www.extension.umn.edu backslash swine. And to learn about research being done by our swine faculty in veterinary medicine, please visit their Swine in Minnesota blog at www.umnswinenews.com. Thank you.